Desert Word Center. How is everybody today? Praise the Lord. Got us another beautiful Sunday morning to be together and worship God. Hallelujah. Well, we're going to have a great time today. Summer is upon us, so praise God. We're ready, though. We're ready for all that stuff, and uh, it's going to be a good one, though, all right? So praise God. We're going to uh, go ahead and speak some words of faith over the United States of America because we believe that America is coming to Jesus, and we walk by faith, not by sight. So somebody could be like, well, I don't see it. That's fine if you don't see it because it's happening. Amen. So let's stand up together today. Hallelujah. And we are going to speak some words of faith and we are seeing a turnaround in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's say this together. Father, we come to you in Jesus name and in unity. We confess that Jesus Christ is Lord over the United States of America. We declare that righteousness, mercy, justice and judgment from you shall prevail. 
we declare that America will complete her God-given mission to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. We push back the darkness of Satan from this nation and call for the light of Jesus Christ to invade the media and every home, church, and school, and every town, city, and state of this great nation, the United States of America. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Hallelujah. You can be seated today. Amen. Well, are you ready for some information? Okay. So, first and foremost, your ACs are getting installed this Thursday. Yeah. And what you need to know about that, aside from praising the Lord, is that you should bring a coat or a jacket on Sunday. I'm a freeze you out. I'm a freeze you out. It's going to be good. Um, the next thing you should remember is that Kids Club Camp is this coming weekend. So, yeah, they're really excited. It's going to be super fun. And if you need some further information as a parent or grandparent of those students as to what they need to bring, stop a a children's worker today and they will get that to you. There were some flyers that went out with what they need to bring, you know, sleeping bags and things like that. So make sure that you have all that information so they don't come completely unprepared because they are sleeping in tents. So they need to have their stuff. Um, Also, for the first time in a year and a quarter... There's general store today. That's a really big deal. Yeah. So for those of you who don't know what general store is, if you have a preschooler through fifth grade, once a month they do a store. And for any of their points that they've earned for bringing their Bible, knowing their memory verse, offering, just being in class, they earn all these points and they get to spend those points and buy things at general store. So if your student has not been in children's yet, it's okay. They still get stuff. So take them up to general store. It's in this room. So you're going to go up the stairs and turn right. Okay. So make sure you participate in general store and you're going to pick all of the students up in this room. So don't go next door after service. Come up here. Um, so I think that's it for children's church. And then there's youth stuff, which is my favorite. It's my favorite. Um, we're taking a trip and I finally booked your place and it's amazing. It's amazing. There's a ridiculous amount of bedrooms and a ridiculous amount of bathrooms and a lazy river, like right there, okay, on the property and a water slide on the property. So I just need you to know that Jesus isn't cheap, okay? He provides more than enough and, and parents, may I let you know, it's under budget. It's under budget. Thank you, Jesus. It's a big deal. So Jesse Garcia kept searching and searching and searching. And we found the place that Jesus wanted us to have. So it's really going to be a great trip. It's going to be a great trip. But if you have not registered your student yet, pre-registered, there's no like payment involved in this. But I need to know how many people, because we have a crazy amount of youth students right now. And there's a cap on how many people can sleep in this place. And it's big, but there's a cap on how many people. So if you have not pre-registered your student yet, I need you to do that like today. Yesterday would have been cool. But these will be at the info booth. You need to grab one before you leave. And the QR code will take you right to where you need to pre-register. The cake auction is this coming Sunday. So, yes. So, those of you who have signed up to donate things, you'll get a reminder call on Saturday or a reminder text on Saturday to remember to bake. 
and to bring your stuff. So we will be receiving items as early as 9 a.m. Sunday morning, and you can bring those items in, and we'll have a table right up here to put them on and all that. And then you need to stay and participate because I've already been told about gluten-free, amazing, blondie, brownies, paleo, healthy brownies. I, I don't know about you, but that's amazing that you can even do that in a brownie. And then, and then there's going to be the not paleo, completely sugared up, full of butter. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's what he's buying. Anyway, um, make sure that you come and participate next week. It's just really a lot of fun and it will help send the youth on that trip as well. Then the following week is Father's Day. So we're going to honor the dads and love on them. Make sure you invite your dad, bring your dad. And if you don't have a dad around, adopt one. Find one in the church that you can love on and bless. And then we're going to spend time with our, our families. So if you've adopted a dad, take that dad out to lunch or invite that dad over and hang out with them. Um, and then we're not doing Sunday night service. So the week of Father's Day, you're going to love on a dad, honor the dads, and then take naps. Okay? That's what we're doing. Yeah? Okay, praise God. Amen, amen. All right. Man, there's some good stuff going on. The youth are going to have their very own private lazy river. I've never heard of such a thing, but I wasn't planning on going on the trip, but I may just have to insert the seniority card and say, I'm going. Okay. I'm kidding. I'll leave him alone. But praise God. Well, it is happy time this morning. Amen. And I am glad because my parents have been gone for three weeks and they are back. So let's <laughs> really glad they're back. We missed them. And so dad's going to do the tithes and offerings this morning. So let's hear it for pastor this morning. Come on. Amen. Amen. They were in Indiana for three weeks and they are back. Praise the Lord. Amen. Glory to God. It's good to be back in our church. Amen. You know, it, it, it's so nice to be able to say my church. Amen. You know, I just don't go to that church. I'm in my church. And you know what? When, when you have that attitude, you talk to people about your church, say, well, that church I go to. Well, that doesn't sound like a whole lot. When you say, hey, I'd like to invite you to my church. Amen. That just has a different, a different, different tone to it. And there's anointing, there's power behind that. We recognize this is not just a church, but it's my church. This is not just a congregation. This is my spiritual family. Amen. And you're my spiritual sons and daughters. I'm your spiritual father. It's so nice to be able to know that God has a plan for our life. We fit right into it. None of that was planned. It just came out because I haven't got to talk for <clears throat> about three weeks in church. So it was good. Hold up your hands to the envelope for your tithes or your offerings. And then also open up to Mark chapter 11. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna just read this and then I'm gonna talk just a little bit about our trip and how our covenant works. Pastor Dave, of course, teaching on covenant. I want to talk about our covenant. And I was thinking about looking at Matthew chapter, Malachi chapter 3 about tithes. And I'll just briefly say this as we look at this verse right here, Mark chapter 11. We're gonna be looking at verse 22 and 23. But uh, in Malachi chapter 3, if you've been around Christian churches very long that teach the Bible, then you know Malachi chapter 3 teaches about the tithe belongs to God. You bring the tithe to God. And then in Malachi chapter 3, God says, when you bring the tithe in, said, I'll open the windows of heaven, part of blessing upon you. I'm going to have to receive it. 
It says, I rebuke the devourer for you. People see you and call you blessed, etc., etc. But everything in the Bible that God, you like to say promises sometimes, they told me years ago, said that's not just a promise, that's a Bible fact. But the way that these facts become reality is by using faith. A lot of Christians don't see the promises of God, the verses of God come to pass in their life, because they just think just by just by being born again that everything happens. It doesn't happen. It takes faith to make it happen. And so I'm going to read Mark 11, 22 and 23 in just a second. But I want to say this about a trip. Pastor Dave said we spent three weeks in Indiana, and we didn't. I drove 4,400 miles. Round trip, 4,400 miles. That means that if going three weeks, you do the math. <laughs> a good part of that was on the road doing that. And the reason that we took this trip, we always fly. We love to fly. But we honor our soldiers. I got a son-in-law that's out of the Army now. He did two tours in Afghanistan, a tour in Iraq. And he, he was a really, really good soldier. And then when he came back, he came to California for a short while. But he was from Indiana originally, so they decided to relocate back to Indiana. Well, the Army paid for all the stuff to get moved here to California, but they didn't have money to take the stuff back. And so I got several buildings on my property, so I stored a lot of their stuff, his tools, Army stuff, and everything he had at my place here. And so I told him, I said, someday I'll get these back to you. And so it was more economically feasible for me to put it in my truck and take it back they had to pay somebody thousands of dollars to take it back by common carrier. And so that was the purpose of our trip was to take the stuff back because I just don't go driving that far because I want to. And then also, my beautiful wife had never got to take that road trip to the place that we went, so I took her on that, so I had two purposes. Number one, I wanted to bless a soldier who happened to be in my family. Then number two, I wanted to bless my wife. And so because I was a truck driver years and years ago, when I left here, Mr. Pastor was still on the inside of me, but I let Mr. Truck Driver take over the driving. <laughs> and so because of that, there was blessing on the drive, but it was all good. And then I said all that because we're going to look at these verses right here about what God does for us because pretty much the whole trip was incident-free except one time coming through New Mexico, we were beside a semi. And because number one of Jesus... And number two, because of all those years of professional truck driving in me, all of a sudden that guy must have been on a cell phone or something. Right when I was beside him, he started cutting into my lane. He didn't just have a tar go across the line. He took over my lane, and I was right beside him. And we'd been going through a lot of mountains and places, and a lot of detours, I mean bridges, one lanes, and stuff like that. But right when he did this, I had about three or four extra feet beside the emergency lane, and I took it all up to get away from that guy. To cut the sense of God out of the way. And so, here's how that happened. Malachi chapter 3 says, rebukes the devourer. But then we got to use our faith. And so verse 22 of Mark 11 says this. And Jesus answered, saith unto them, have faith in God. And Brother Hagin always pointed out that this in the Greek says, have the faith of God. Have the God kind of faith. And when you read Genesis chapter 1, the way God put his faith in action, it says, God said, God said, let there be light. And there was light. God said, let there be water. There was water. God said, let the water be filled with fishes. 
and there was. And so God said, everything that we see is because God used his faith to speak into existence what he wanted on earth. And so in our life, if we're going to have the God kind of faith, how many here are a son or daughter of God? Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1 says, be imitators of God as dear children. And so if you're going to act like your spiritual heavenly father, then you're going to be a speaking spirit and you're going to say things. And so Malachi chapter 3 tells me what belongs to me, but then this here tells me how to get it activated. Use the God kind of faith, for verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say, whosoever shall say, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, shall not doubt in his heart, shall not doubt in his heart. How many know that your mind and your heart are two different parts of you? Fiery darts hit your mind and tells you that that diagnosis you got is going to kill you. Tells you that lack of money you have is going to bankrupt you. Tells you that that vehicle you're driving is not going to make it 4,400 miles. All those things hit your mind. But Jesus said, <clears throat> you say and you don't doubt in your heart. Faith comes from your heart, not your head. But shall believe that those things which he saith, shall believe that those things which he saith, shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever his grandma prayeth. So have whatsoever the preacher saith. Says you'll have whatsoever you saith. And so we as the preachers can preach the word of God. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. But for the word of God come to pass in your life, you've got some talking to do. And so on our trip, it was an excellent trip, made great time, no bad things happened, and I thought about Jesus. Jesus got into a boat, and he told his disciples, we're going to the other side. Well, when he got in the ship, says he went down, and he went to sleep for a while. Anybody read that story? Said he slept, and a storm came. And disciples woke him up and said, Master, don't you care if we perish? And Jesus said, oh, you have little faith. And then I can just throw this in there. Did you hear what I say? That's what he would have said. Did you hear what I said? I said we're going to the other side. I didn't say we're going to get halfway and we're going to sink. He said, I said we're going to the other side. we got a destination. we got to get over there. And so when I take a trip on an airplane or in a car, if I go up here to San Diego, I say we're going to the other side. Amen. I have whatsoever I saith. And so Malachi chapter 3 when that truck tried to take us out, God rebuked the devourer. It didn't happen. It didn't take us out. No mishaps at all whatsoever. We made it. And I just think about the Malachi chapter 3 blessing. When you read that, when I was a young Christian, didn't really understand God or the Bible, we said, I'll pour you out a blessing. I'd hear people say, well, God's going to pour you out a blessing. Well, that blessing right there is called a blessed lifestyle. And so my blessing for that trip was all the way there and all the way back and everything go perfect. Amen. Amen. So don't just, just get that out of your thinking that the blessing means God's going to do something good one time. That means your life's going to be a life of blessing. Amen. Amen. That's why we make our financial faith confession. It's make our, and by the way, when I got back, I had four checks in the mail. <laughs> Amen. Totally unexpected. Four checks in the mail. Think that's got anything to do if we confess checks in the mail? Gifts and surprises? 
finding money, bills paid off. Amen. And so I just want to say this to you. The things I just shared, the Word of God, watch your mouth, watch your mouth, watch your mouth, financial things, family things, health things, no matter what's going on in the world today, you can control your life if you control your mouth and stay hooked up with the Word of God. Amen. Amen. Well, let's make our financial faith confession, then we'll bring our tithes and offerings up to the altar. <clears throat> Don't forget, as you're bringing your offerings up, or if you're doing things online, always speak faith over it, remind Jesus what His covenant says, and thank Him that it's working for you. Amen. As we bring the Lord's tithe and give offerings today, we believe we receive jobs, or better jobs, promotions, raises and bonuses, benefits, sales and commissions, Growth in business, settlements, estates and inheritances, rebates and returns, checks in the mail, gifts and surprises, finding money, bills paid off, debts paid off, royalties received, blessings and increase. Thank you, Lord, meet all my financial needs so I have more than enough to take care of my family, give dress to the kingdom of God, promote the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, as soon as you're done dropping off your tithes and offerings, join us back at your seats, stand, and let's praise the Lord. Let's remember all the good things that he's
wisdom that he created the plan for our lives as well and it's just so good and if you just think about how he holds the universe together he's holding our lives together too if we just follow him he's right there he has the good plan for us and i just want to encourage you guys with that today
light in the darkness, my God, that is who you Light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Nisi, we sing your names today, Lord. Jehovah El Shaddai, we need peace. You are our peace. Thank you, Lord, for peace in this place today. Lord, thank you for blanketing us with your with your better promises, Lord. We just receive them today, Lord. We just we just open our hearts, Lord. We just if we repent, Lord, where we have unbelief in our life, Lord, right now. I repent, Lord. There's been promises. If I haven't believed a part of your name, Lord, you are still faithful, you are still true, you are still who you say you are, Lord. Let's just sing Waymaker one more time. Waymaker, miracle work. Promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. You are way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. Let's raise our hands this morning together. I believe the Lord is here and He wants to speak to us. Father, we love You. Father, we acknowledge our dependence upon You, God. There is nothing that we can do without You. Nothing worthwhile anyway. And Lord, just like King David said, every good thing I have comes from You. There's nothing good in my life that You didn't provide for. There's nothing good in my life that you didn't give to me, Lord. We love you and we thank you that you are a promise keeper. You're the promise keeper. You don't make promises and then don't keep them. And we, we worship you and we praise you for that. Hallelujah. You know, we're, we've been speaking about covenants for the past uh, three weeks. Or, uh, and, uh, and we're going to go into that more today. But you've got to realize that Sometimes uh, in, in our modern day, uh, we, we say, you know, the promise keeper and, and maybe you've had people break promises to you. And so that doesn't that statement may not mean a whole lot to you. But listen, no matter what people have done to you, don't judge God based upon what people have done to you. It's not his fault. Amen. And so if he makes a promise, he will keep it. And you've got to stand on that. Amen. You know, we were at the men's meeting yesterday reading out of Isaiah. And it says, the word of God, when he sends forth his word, it always produces fruit. It never returns void. If you've got a word of God, if you've got a verse that you're standing on, it is full of more power than you would ever know. It's got more power than the whole power grid of the United States of America, man. You think you know power. You don't know power until you know the Word of God. And so I'm encouraging us today that if you're like, man, I've been standing and, and, and I know it says that, but I'm not seeing it yet. It's okay. It's going to happen because... Galatians 6, 9 promises us we will reap in due season if we faint not. Don't give up. He is a promise keeper. 
He keeps His word. He keeps His promises. Even if people don't do that, He does. Amen? And so I'm encouraging you today that as we've been worshiping the Lord, as we've been praising Him, He is a good, good Father. He's a good Dad. He is an amazing God. And He wants the best for you. He wants better for you than you want for yourself. He wants better for you than you even want for your own kids. He is awesome. And we're going to study Him here for a few minutes today. But I think we ought to give the Lord a little praise this morning in this house. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. We love good and your mercy endures forever there is nobody like you god we praise your name today hallelujah thank you jesus amen amen all right well you may be seated today why don't you you can give someone a high five if you want to all right i won't tell anybody that you came within six feet give yourselves a high five amen well who's glad to be in the house of the lord right now Man, there is no place else I would rather be than in God's house with God's people, studying God's word, singing God's praises. It's all about him today. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's all about him. And I know this much, though. The Lord wants to speak to you today. And so we're going to dig in to the word of God here for a few minutes. And we are going to have communion at the end of the service. And that's not something we take lightly. That's not just something we do out of tradition. Communion is a powerful holy thing that New Testament Christians do. And the sermon today is going to lead right up to that because you have a new covenant. Who knows that? That you have a covenant. You have a new covenant with God and Jesus Christ himself is the mediator of that covenant. His blood is the one that paid the price for that covenant. It wasn't some sheep or some goat or somebody else. It's the very blood of Jesus Christ. And so I'm excited. Uh, this is going to be a big message. And I, I, I hope that you take some notes, write some verses down, follow along. But this is going to be a life changer for those that will listen. And I always say this. It's incredible to me how two people can come to the exact same church service sing the exact same songs, hear the exact same sermon, given to the exact same offering, and one person leaves, and they're like, man, that was life-changing. God rocked my socks today. And the other person walks out, man, I get nothing out of that, man. What's going on, man? He was off his game today, man. Listen to me. (laughs) Whatever you receive from God, that's up to you. It's not up to the person next to you how much you're going to receive from the Word of God today. And, you know, I, I've prayed and I've, I've studied and I've tried to do my my uh, work on my for my job this week to prepare the Word and, and deliver it to you. But ultimately, it's not even up to me what you receive from God today. It's going to be up to you. You're going to have to reach out like that woman that had that issue of blood and touch Jesus And when you do, he will change your life. He will rock it to the core, and he will do something great for you. Amen. Can we give one more shout of praise to God before we go? Amen. All right. Well, go ahead and throw that up there mainly for me. Today is going to be uh, Covenant People Part 3. Covenant People Part 3. And just as a quick little recap, in the first week we kind of learned that A covenant is more 
than just uh, a contract, even though that could be a, a synonymous term, but a contract is really more about a piece of paper, and and in our day and age, we sign lots of contracts, but that's all there is to it. I've signed a piece of paper promising that I'll pay my mortgage on time, right, <laughs> or, or whatever the case is, and and so we found out that, that a covenant, it, it is a contract, and there are promises made by both parties, but there's also a relationship that goes with it. And that's why it makes me mad when somebody says marriage is just a piece of paper. That's a lie from hell. Marriage is a covenant in the sight of God Almighty. And don't tell me that my covenant with my wife is just a piece of paper because you're too dense to understand it. Amen? Excuse me. I'm sorry. I'll calm down now. But uh, uh, a marriage is a covenant and that's why it's such a powerful and important thing. And so uh, a covenant is not just uh, promises. It's not just paper. It's a relationship between the parties entering into it. And that's why it's it's more than those things. And then last week, what we really looked at was uh, the old covenant, right? Uh, and, and so we've got the law of Moses, the Mosaic covenant. And that was a great thing for the time period that it was in. And it's a wonderful thing, but we as New Testament Christians no longer live under the old covenant. And Jesus said, I didn't come to erase it. He said, I didn't come to abolish it and pretend like it never even existed. But he said, I came to fulfill the old covenant. And then, as we're going to see this way, he starts making a new covenant. And Hebrews 8, 6 says that you've got a better covenant than Moses with better promises. And there were some good promises to Moses. And as I look at those, I'm like, that sounds great, but it makes me excited. And I about run a lap around the church when I read Deuteronomy 28, because I see that as good as Moses and those people had their promises, I've got a better covenant with better promises because my covenant isn't based upon uh, the, the sacrifice of some sheep or some goat. It's based upon the very sacrifice of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. What could be more powerful than that? There's nothing more powerful than that. Amen. And so we're going to get into the word today. That was our brief recap, our brief replay of the last two weeks. And we're going to study two people today. We're going to study David and Jesus and the covenants that they had. All right. So let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord, that we have a church to meet in, God, and we no longer take it for granted that we've got a place to get together and gather as we were commanded and to sing your praises and to fellowship and study your word. We thank you that we've got that. And God, I pray that as we're here as a great big family today, that you will speak to us, God. You will tell us what we need to hear, not what we want to hear, but what we need to hear, God, because we want to change. We want to be better. We want to be more like you. And on top of it all, we want to we want to live our lives for you the very best way that we need to, Lord. We love you and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, can somebody say amen? Amen. All right, let's do this. The first thing we're looking at today, number one, is the Davidic covenant. That's the covenant of David. And I told you last week, there's kind of seven main covenants mentioned in scripture, and several of those are, are to the nation of Israel, right? Like God promised that they can always have this little strip of land over there, and to this day, it's, you know, it's it's theirs. And and then uh, God made some individual covenants, uh, and, and, and today we're going to look at one of those. This is to 
David and his family. And you'll see how it's still in effect even in 2021, all right? And so David is most famous for what? What do you think David is the the most famous moment of his life? Goliath. And we know he did a lot of other great things, but kind of the thing that even people that aren't Christians and don't go to church, people know this is a David and Goliath type of a battle, or or or, or David killed Goliath. They they at least know that much because it's a very famous moment in the Bible and even basically in world history that this thing actually happened. So David is one of the key people. In scripture, you got to know about David and you've got to know what his covenant was to fully appreciate some of the stuff that we even have going on right now in 2021. So I'm going to give you a little quick backstory on David before we get into the scripture on him. And uh, you need to know this, that up until the time uh, that first Samuel was written, Israel had no human king. God almighty was himself literally their king. And so there was no single human being. They had prophets. They had judges that settled disputes and things like that. But there was no human being that was their actual king. And so the people kind of start getting like jealous of the other countries. They're like, those guys have a king. Uh, They've got somebody they can go look to. They've got somebody that they can go see with their eyeballs. We want an actual human being king. And so Samuel's like, no, that's crazy. You guys have got it made. You, you've got God. They're like, no, no, no. We, and so Samuel goes to God and talks to God and says, these people want a human for their actual king. They want a man to be their king. And so God says, all right, give them what they want. Because it's not you that they're insulting. It's not you they're rebelling against. They're insulting me. And just give them what they want. See how they like it. But before you do it, Samuel... Tell them all of the downsides of having some person be their king. Tell them that they're going to pay taxes. Who loves paying taxes? Boo. <laughs> all right. Uh, the, 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 if you have a man be your king, he's going to draft your sons into the army. He's going to take the best land and give it to himself and to his family. He's going to he's going to really uh, look out for his own best interest a whole lot of the time. But go ahead and tell him. And so... Samuel says, all right, God says you guys can have a person be your king, have a man be your king, but here's all of the downside to having that. And then in 1 Samuel 8, 19, the people answered, even so, we still want a king. We want to be like the nations around us. Our king will judge us, and he'll lead us into battle. And so God told Samuel, okay, they've made their choice. Give them a king. And so They go to select a king, right? And who do they get? They get this guy named Saul. He was tall, dark, and handsome. On the he was the tallest guy in Israel. He was the strongest guy in Israel. He was the best looking guy in Israel. According to People magazine of that day, he was the man. Everybody agreed he was the man, no denying it. And so they're like, this has got to be the guy that we've been looking for. And so, sure enough, they select Saul. And as you know, uh, well, maybe you know, maybe you don't know, but it doesn't end up working out. And to make a long story short, uh, Saul is full of pride and, and he disobeys the Lord. And so he dies in battle. And as David is a teenage boy, though, after, after the whole giant thing, he's anointed to be the next king of Israel as a teenager. 
But the fact of the matter is he wouldn't become king for a long time. And so maybe uh, you can look at your life and say, I know God, you know, he called me to do this and, 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 and he, he made this promise to me and, and I haven't seen it yet. It'll happen. It shall come to pass, but it's going to have to happen in God's time, not when you decide that it's time, right? And so David could have like, man, I was anointed to be king. How come, how come it's taking so long? Well, hey, be patient, all right? We're working on God's time zone here. But anyway... David has chosen to, to end up being king. But I want to show you something very important here in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Can we turn there? 1 Samuel chapter 17. And you're going to learn some stuff today if you'll pay attention. Who's going to pay attention? I was talking to one of the little kids at the men's meeting yesterday. <laughs> He's like, Pastor Dave, I like you a lot, but sometimes I fall asleep when you're preaching. <laughs> He's like, it's like listening to a bedtime story. And I'm like, glad I can help you out there, son. Thank you. That's, that means a lot. <laughs> it's good. It's good. It was funny. It was a cute thing. It was really cute. So, uh, 1 Samuel 17. And look at verse 26. Because here we have the famous story of David and Goliath. And so what we've got here is the Israelite people, people of covenant, people of promise, people of God's family, fighting against a bunch of Philistines who were evil, wicked, pagan people who had literally no promises from God. And and so Goliath, the nine-foot giant, shows up, nine feet tall, and he's hurling threats and insults at the Israelites. The, the army is hiding and cowering in fear, and David shows up, and he's like, hey, What's going on over here? Why are all the grown men hiding from these guys? And David gets really angry. And I'm going to show you why David gets angry. Because even as a teenager, David knew that he had a covenant with God. And somehow, even as a teenager, David had this deep understanding of what a covenant is, even though the adults didn't. And I have found out even today that sometimes the kids have a better understanding of God than we do sometimes. Because they just trust him. They're, you know, like, hey, aren't you scared? I'm not scared. The Bible says this. What are you scared about, sissy? You're like, oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> you know, the kids, they trust God. And so David, as a teenage boy, probably around 17 years old, somewhere within that range, he's like, wait a minute, what's going on here? Why is everybody crying and hiding from this guy? So 1 Samuel 17, verse 26. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach, the embarrassment from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Now, taking you back two weeks ago, we found out with Abraham and under the covenant of Moses that one of the signs for the covenant is that the men had to be circumcised. That was God's choice. That was his thing. I'm not going into all that. But but the sign and the mark of circumcision meant this guy, he has the mark of the covenant. This is a covenant person. These guys are all hiding and, and, and cowering. And David's like, wait a minute. You're hiding from this guy? The, who Who is he? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that's making fun of your God? You're, you're really going to sit there and let this pagan make fun of your God and you're not going to do anything about it? That's a disgrace. That's a reproach. You ought to be ashamed of yourselves. 
And I wonder sometimes these days, we just sit there and take it while they make fun of our God, while they make fun of our beliefs, while they mock everything that we stand for. I'm not saying to go out there and hit him in the head with a rock. Don't do that. But at the same time, it's okay sometimes to stand up for what you believe in. Amen? And so look at verse 36. Verse 36. So he says it again. Your servant David has killed both lion and bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. Seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. So what am I getting at here? David shows up and he's like, wait a minute. This guy doesn't even have a covenant with God. He doesn't even have a covenant with God. We have a covenant with God. We've got promises. We've got a covenant with God. There's no way. And so people look at this fight like David was so heroic. He was. He was heroic. David was brave. David was tough. David was awesome. But really, if you could see it through David's eyes, he's like, this is a rigged fight. There's not a chance in the world I can lose this thing. I've got a covenant and he doesn't have one. And if you right now in 2021 would start saying, wait a minute, why am I even afraid of this? I've got a covenant with God and the devil that's trying to take me and my family down. He doesn't even have a covenant. This thing's rigged. There's no way I can possibly even lose this thing. If you knew that you had a covenant, you wouldn't just be sitting there like that right now. You'd be a little bit excited because the fight that you are in, you will win if you will understand that you've got a covenant with God. This thing is rigged. This thing is built in your favor if you're going up against something or someone that does. And so everyone's like, David, how did he find the strength? How did he, how did he summon up the, 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 the courage? And it's really not that complicated. It spells it out right there. This guy is uncircumcised. He's making fun of the armies of the living God. He has no covenant. I've got one. Let's go. It was a, it was a two hit fight. He hit Goliath. Goliath hit the ground. It was all over with in a matter of minutes. But why is that? Because David knew that he had a covenant. Any fight that you enter Okay, any fight that you enter is rigged in your favor because God is on your side. As long as you're not fighting the wrong battles, which some people are. I'm talking about when the devil comes against you and your household, you are going to win if you'll do things God's way. His way always works. And so David defeated Goliath. You can read the rest of that story on your own time. He defeats Goliath, and everybody loves David, and, and David becomes king, and to this very day, David is the most beloved king that Israel ever had. They still love David like nobody else. But what I want to do is I want to show you David's personal covenant, the covenant that God made with David. Now, as I tried to explain last week, some of the covenants that we see in Scripture, they were unconditional. God was going to fulfill the covenant with that person or that people group, whether they really obeyed or not. Uh, but the law of Moses, that covenant was very conditional. God will bless bless you like you've never seen, but you've got to keep the law and you've got to obey every little single part of it. That was conditional. Think about one of the, the very first covenant in the Bible, Genesis chapter 9, when uh, when God promised Noah, hey, 
I will never destroy the entire earth ever again with a flood. And to prove it, I'll give you the sign of the rainbow as a mark of my covenant. That was made to all mankind. And God's not going to destroy the entire earth with a flood ever again, even if we're really naughty, right? (laughs) Because, hey, sometimes, like, God, you probably just go ahead and do that again. It's getting bad down here. But no, no, no. He won't do it because he made a promise to Noah and to all mankind. And so, with Moses, there was a lot of conditions in that covenant. And here we have uh, David's covenant, the Davidic covenant, and God said, I'm, you know what, I'm going to keep this covenant to you and your family forever. Some of them are going to walk away from me and all this, but I will keep this covenant with you and your family forever. And so I want to look at this second Samuel, second Samuel chapter seven. Can we turn there? Are we learning anything today? We're trying to educate you in the scripture. And then of course, we want you to be able to apply this to your life because I don't really like to just learn a bunch of stuff that I can't apply to my life. I want to, I want to learn, but then I want to know, how's that going to help me right now in 2021? I heard somebody say, hey, we'll get the victory in the sweet by and by when we get up to heaven. Then somebody else said, yeah, the sweet by and by, but we live in the nasty now and now. I need help for today. I need something that's going to give me some faith right now. So second Samuel chapter seven. And verse 9, and so this is God, uh, if you read the whole chapter, for the sake of time, I'm not reading all of it, but Second Samuel chapter 7, and so God starts laying out some of the things that he wants to do for uh, the family of David, and he promises some really awesome, incredible things for David and for his family. But if you look here at verse 9, he says, I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have destroyed all your enemies before your eyes. Now I will make your name as famous as anyone who has ever lived on the earth. That was a promise from God. I just asked a minute ago, and hey, who knows who David is? I mean, everybody raised their hand. Of course, you know, most of your church people or whatever, but even if you go out on the streets, hey, do you know who David is? God made David's name as famous, I would say, As anybody that's ever lived on the earth, David is a very famous name. That's a cool promise from God to him. But look here, I want to skip down to verse 16 because here's what I'm getting at. 2 Samuel 7 and verse 16, you can read the in-between verses for some more cool promises that God made to him. But look at verse 16. He says, your house, meaning your family, and your kingdom will continue before me for all time and your throne will be secure forever now as he's making that promise you're like well that's what what that's neat but but what he what, what he's promising david is one of david's descendants will always throughout time forever sit on the throne of israel your kingdom your family your heritage david is secure forever Now, there's some things David wanted to do. You know, you look at the earlier on there, David, he goes into the palace one night, he stretches and lays down on the bed, and he's like, man, I've got a good life. I live in a giant palace. I've got it made. Then he looks out, and he notices the little ark that they've got, you know, the presence of God in. And he's like, I'm living in a palace, 
and we're keeping the presence of God, we're keeping God in a, a little box outside, I can't take this. I'm going to build God the biggest and grandest temple the world's ever seen. And God says, David, I love you. That's not for you. You're not allowed. You're not going to be the one. Your son is going to be the one to build my temple. And so, and so God kept that promise. And Solomon builds the temple, the famous temple. And it's incredible. But God tells David, your kingdom and your throne is secure. One of your descendants will always be sitting on the throne. One of your descendants will always be on the throne of Israel. And so this is a big thing because you're like, well, again, what does that mean? Do you not realize, friends, that if I'm not going to go there because this is a little, but in Matthew chapter one, we see the story of a carpenter in Israel named Joseph who would become the, you know, the father of Jesus Christ. And Joseph, though he was not Jesus's earthly dad, it lists all of the lineage of Joseph, all of his ancestors, all the way back, all the way back, like 40 something generations. And if you look right in there, one of Joseph's ancestors was a guy named David, the son of Jesse. Jesus Christ was a descendant of King David through the lineage Joseph on that side. God kept his promise to David because Jesus sits not only on the throne of Israel, he sits on the throne of heaven at the right hand of God to this very day. But then if you go over to Luke chapter 3, it goes to Jesus' maternal side with his blood mother Mary, and it traces her lineage, and Mary was also a descendant of King David. Jesus was a descendant of David on his mom's side and his dad's side, and he still sits on the throne of Israel and the throne of heaven to this very day. Did God keep his promise to David? The Bible later on goes to say that God found David, the son of Jesse, to be a man after his own heart. There's never been anybody like David before. Now, I believe that there's other people that God will say, that's a man after my own heart. But the fact of the matter is, the Bible only records one person that God set it after. Because David made some mistakes. David was not perfect. David did, arguably, some of the greater sins. Well, I thought all sins are equal. Not all sins are equal, man. A kid stealing a donut from Krispy Kreme is not like David murdering somebody. Yeah, don't lie to me about that. That's that's baloney, all right? And I anyway, that's a whole other topic that I've studied out. But I I could go further into that if you'd like someday. But that's a lie, uh, and that's that's stupid. David committed adultery and had somebody murdered, and then God still says, "This is a man after my own heart." Why is that? Because David, when he realized what he had done, he he wept. He came to the Lord and, 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 and he made it right. He didn't, he didn't say, no, I never did it. No, that's not me. Like so many, do you really think that when you lie to God and say, I didn't do it? Come on, man. You think he doesn't know? He knows. That's silly. That's like, you ever catch your kids doing something dumb? Like, Hey, who ate the cookies? And one of them has Oreos all over their mouth and, and teeth. It wasn't me. I don't know who, who did yeah, it was you. Yeah, don't, don't lie. It's, it's obvious to everybody around you except for you yourself. You did it. And so David did some bad things, but God forgave him because he had the right heart before him. 
And as you'll see in the new covenant, it's a whole lot more about what's on our heart. We make mistakes. We fail. But Jesus Christ makes a way. If we'll own up to it and confess our sins, he forgives us and cleanses us every single time. And so David, amen, David is really important, not just because he killed Goliath, but because Jesus Christ of Nazareth came down his family line and changed the world like nobody's ever changed the world forever. God kept his promise to David, all right? And so that is a very brief overview of David's covenant. But now here's what I, here's the whole point of why I'm even talking about anything on this subject. Number two, I want to look at the new covenant. The new covenant. And why is that so important? Because this is the covenant that you live under right now. This is your covenant. And, uh, and, and I'm not going to be able to possibly touch everything on it today. So I'm going to dig in a little more next week, but I'm going to show you right now what this covenant is based off of because each covenant has, you know, things that it's based on and this covenant it's based on Jesus Christ. It's not based on you. It's not based on me. It's based on Jesus Christ. And that's why it's the most powerful thing the world has ever seen. And so the new covenant that we live in, there was all over the Old Testament, the prophets were prophesying uh, that there's going to eventually be a new covenant that comes into play. And, and so Moses, Jeremiah, Ezekiel all predicted and promised uh, that there's going to someday be an incredible new covenant that God makes with his people. And everyone's like, I don't ever see that happening. But it happened when Jesus came. You don't have to turn there. You can write this down. Jeremiah 31 and verse 33. Jeremiah 31 verse 33 Jeremiah said, but this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. The old covenant was written on stone. It was chiseled into stone. The new covenant is written on the hearts of every person that's in here that's received Jesus Christ. I don't have to go to the temple. I don't have to go see the priest to go say, hey, can you show me that again? And, 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 and then carry these big. No, I look straight to my Bible. I get to look right at my heart and realize God's new covenant that he promised. It's written right on my heart. It is within me. It's not written on some tablet of stone somewhere. And in fact, God said, I will give them a new heart. I will put a brand new heart within them. And when you're born again, Jesus comes in and changes your heart. And that's talking about your spirit. I don't just have to go and, and you know, get my, my uh, sins, you know, like washed off, do a quick. No, I have been completely cleansed. And according to 2 Corinthians 5, I have been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Nobody before could ever have that to this level. It's an incredible thing. And so when Jesus came into the earth, you study Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, for a lot of that period, he was still living under the old Mosaic covenant. And, and, and he was still, a, he was a Jewish man operating under the law of Moses. And you'll see in lots of the scriptures, he even refers, he's like, well, the law of Moses says this. 
And one thing that I, you know, one, one chapter that I really like is uh, Matthew. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, The law, the law of Moses tells you an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So under Moses' law, somebody pokes you in the eye. Hey, I get to poke your eye back. It's only fair. You knock one of my teeth out, I get to knock one of your teeth out. It's fair. You kick me, I'm allowed to kick you one time because it has to be fair. And then Jesus shows up in Matthew 5 and says, You've heard it said that the law of Moses told you an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, if someone slaps you on one cheek, turn the other cheek. They're like, what? That's not even in the law. I don't have to do that. That's the craziest thing I've ever heard of. And Jesus begins slowly showing them a new covenant is coming. Things are getting ready to change big time. He says, you've heard it said that you've got to carry a soldier's gear for one mile. But I tell you, go the extra mile. And so Jesus starts giving these little hints. He's like, the law does say this, but I'm telling you, it's going to be like this from now on. And he starts drawing the picture of what a new covenant is going to be like. And another thing that Jesus did that just started like really messing with people is he came and he said several times, hey, I came to help the lost sheep of Israel. I came to help the Jewish people. And when people uh, would say, you know what, I, I know that. I trust you, though. Jesus blew everybody's mind when he started loving and ministering to people that weren't Jewish. In Matthew chapter 8, we just studied this on Wednesday night in the service. This Roman officer, this soldier in the, in the Roman army shows up and says, Hey, my servant is at home paralyzed and in bed with a fever. He's dying. This guy was not Jewish. And Jesus is like, uh, and the guy says, no, just speak the word only. I'm not worthy. Don't even come to my house. Just speak the word from where you are. And I know you can heal him. And Jesus is like, okay, go. And Jesus heals this person that has absolutely no covenant with God. Matthew chapter 15, this mom shows up and says, Jesus, you've got to help me. My daughter is demon possessed. She's going crazy, and and Jesus says, I am sorry to hear about that. In fact, it says she was a Canaanite woman. The people of Canaan were well known for worshiping idols, for making, you know, they 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 were idol worshipers. They were devil worshipers. They were wicked people. So, yeah, you play around with that stuff, you're going to catch some demons, man. And I'll just tell you that right now. You don't mess around with the black magic and the arts and the, listen, you want to play with that? You will get more than you can handle, man. And you may think I'm weird, but I'm telling the truth. I have cast the devil out of people that they got their start playing with witchcraft. And so I, it's, it's no wonder that this little girl, I don't know how old she was, she was possessed by the devil. And so she's like, Jesus, please, you're the only one. He's like, I'd like to, but I was sent to help the people of Israel. Uh, and, and she's like, you're the only one. He's like, it would be wrong to take the bread from the table, the bread from the children, and throw it to the dogs. Like, whoa, Jesus, <laughs> he just called this woman a dog because she is not of the covenant now upon further study of that you can uh, 
He wasn't straight up calling her a dog. It was culturally at the time that uh, once a, you could feed puppies from the table, but you couldn't feed the grown dogs. They had to go take care of themselves. And so Jesus was basically saying, "Hey, you're you're a little puppy. You're you're, you're not there yet. You're not one of us. I I can't I can't take the I can't take the bread from the the real children and just throw it to the. You're gonna have to go." And she's like, "Yes, Jesus." But even the little dogs, even the puppies get to eat the crumbs that fall from the table. I know I don't have a covenant. Just give me some crumbs. And Jesus is like, whoa, this lady gets it. He's like, you know what? Yeah, go your way for your daughter is whole. And she went home and her daughter had been delivered from the devil. And she didn't even have a covenant. And so Jesus starts giving all these hints. I know Moses said this, but I tell you this. And then he starts ministering to and bringing in the people that are Gentiles. And so he's like, hey, get used to it. These are, they're going to be part of the family now. It's like, you know, when somebody's like, hey, you know, kids, you're going to, there's new people coming into the family. Just get used to it. They're like, hey, we don't want them in our family. And Jesus is saying, hey, the Gentiles are going to be part of the family of Abraham soon. You better get used to this new covenant that's coming. But the greatest thing that Jesus did out of all of it is that He became the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. And if you don't understand covenants and you don't understand the Bible, you're like, well, yay, thank you, Jesus. Hey, I owe you one. But it's a lot deeper than that. Under the old covenant, the priest made daily sacrifices for sins, but there was no power in the blood of these animals to actually get rid of sin. It could only temporarily atone for sin until the next time you screwed things up. And for some of us, we screw up quite a bit. I mean, I know I'm not the only one, but hey, I do some dumb things sometimes. Just ask my wife and she'll tell you, okay? I do some dumb things. I mess up every now and then, right? We all do. We all do. And wouldn't it be bad if every time, like, ah, man, I said that word again. I got to go out and... uh, Another goat's going to lose its life today because, hey, someone's going to pay. There's got to be the shedding of blood, for without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. Uh, Someone's going to die for this. And so there was no power in the blood of these animals. In fact, Hebrews 10.4 says, For it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So at best, they could just temporarily atone. They could just temporarily Bring a little bit of forgiveness, but it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to actually take away sins. Now, sheep, on the other hand, are seen as a very special animal in Israel, right? And so every Passover, a young sheep was made as the sac- a pure, you know, beautiful, good-looking little sheep. I know to us it sounds like, oh, man, cute little guy. That sounds terrible. You know, it sounds like Lamb Chop from Lamb Chop's Play Along. Yeah, it was similar to that. But but anyway, and so they had a big, the, the best-looking, the most pure little sheep would be the sacrifice to atone for the sins of Israel for that year. But at the same time, it was never permanent. It was just a temporary Band-Aid. But then one of the things I love is John the Baptist at the very beginning of Jesus ministry, John 1 29, uh, John sees his cousin Jesus walking up the way and he's like, whoa, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John got it. Jesus was the Lamb 
of God. Not the lamb of the son of Jesse, not the lamb of, you know, Malachi, not the lamb of Joel, not the lamb of Benjamin, not the lamb of whoever. Jesus Christ was the lamb of God who John said, oh my gosh, John got it. This, oh, this man right here is the lamb of God. This guy is going to take away the sins of the entire world. And that was a mind blow. The, uh, whoa, whoa. You mean the, of, all, of all of Nazareth? No, 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 no. Of all of Jerusalem? No, no, no. Of all of Judah? No, no. Of, of, this guy's going to take away the sins of all of Israel? No. This man will permanently pay the price and take away the sins of the entire world. The lamb, and John got it. And John was like, oh my gosh. And Jesus is like, you, but John, you have to baptize me. I know we're cousins. You've got to baptize me. And John says, no, I ain't doing it. No way. You baptize me. And Jesus says, John, stop. It has to be done so I can fulfill what my father said. John, I know you don't want to. I know you're uncomfortable. John, you have to baptize me because my father said so. And John's like, okay. I'll do it. And John baptizes his cousin Jesus. And Jesus comes up out of the water of the Jordan River. And it is such a powerful moment that a dove, the Holy Spirit, descends in the form of a dove. And the voice of God the Father, this is one of the only times recorded, that God's voice spoke from heaven. And everybody there heard it. It was not like somebody said, hey, God spoke to me, man. And it was real deep, brother. Let me just tell you about this heavy revy that God gave to me. No, everybody there heard it. And he said, behold, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. You guys better look out. And so Jesus, we know, we start seeing him operate in power. You can study the four gospels. He starts doing miracles and he's like, hey, I'm going to do this, but don't tell anybody yet. Just keep it to yourself because he knew his time had not yet come. He kept telling people, don't tell everybody what I just did, because then they're gonna, and they're gonna come and try to kill me. And people are like, okay, then they would go tell anybody, everybody anyway, like, hey, you get, this guy just healed me, this guy. And so for three and a half years, Jesus walks around this, this area of Israel, healing, casting out devils, forgiving sins, raising the dead, giving people hope, doing miracles, changing that region at an incredible rate, and his fame is just spreading. He's very famous, like, oh, there he is, there he is. And people would follow him. He could never get a moment's rest. One time when they killed his cousin John, the King Herod had his head cut off, Jesus is so distraught. He's like, guys, I need a minute. He goes to the other side of the lake. He's like, I just want to be alone. And people are like, hey, Jesus is over at the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. Go. And so crowds follow. And Jesus is like, hey, I can't even get a moment to myself. He didn't. That's not recorded in scripture. I'm just paraphrasing what I think happened. Okay. I'm imagining because I've got kids. I tried to sneak a Snickers bar into my bedroom closet and they heard me from downstairs. Okay. It's messed up. How in the world can you be yelling instructions, clean your room? I didn't hear you. And then the second that I touch a candy bar, they hear it from up the block. He that has an ear to hear, let him hear, right? Jesus said it, not me. You do it without what you want. But I, they've got ears. They just ain't hearing these days, okay? So anyway, praise the Lord. Let me get back on topic here. So, 
So Jesus, they're following him everywhere. Even when he goes to the other side of the lake, they all show up and he preaches for for days. And then he's like, these guys are hungry. We got to feed them. The disciples said, hey, we don't have any food. This little kid over here has some fish and some bread. Jesus, like, bring it here. Multiplies it, feeds over 5,000 men and not including the women and children. Jesus was the real deal. There's never been anybody even close to how awesome Jesus is. And be careful that you don't talk about him in the past tense and say, he was cool because he ain't dead. He's still alive. He's still doing those things. Amen. He didn't change. Hebrews 13.8 says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. And so... Watch how you talk about him because he's still around and he's coming back and we're going to get to see him face to face someday. So Jesus wanders and, and travels the area for three and a half years. But I'm going to skip forward here to Matthew chapter 26. Turn there, please. Matthew 26. What we have here is the story of the Last Supper. And it's it's an emotional thing to kind of read because... Jesus is talking to these guys and, and, uh, and he's like, guys, it is about to happen. It's gonna get real. And he says, uh, in fact, one of you guys is gonna actually betray me. Uh, and, and, you know, just letting you know up front, one of you is gonna betray me. And so they're all like, what? One of us? One out of this group of 12? And so like, Peter's like, is it me? John, is it me? James, is it me? Thaddeus, is it me? Even Thomas, is it me, Lord? Would I? And it gets down to all these guys, and Judas, Judas knows it's him. But hey, you can't look awkward. So Jesus, is it me? And Jesus says, you've said it. Judas runs out into the night and goes and gets the soldiers. But Jesus, he's about to have what's his very last supper with his disciples. These guys have ate together. Every meal, three and a half years, they've been together nonstop, working miracles, just healing people, walking on every, I mean, this been a while. Can you imagine three and a half years working directly side by side with the physical Jesus? What a wild ride. And it all comes down to this. And he's like, guys, this will be the last meal we share. You won't drink anything with me again until the kingdom of heaven, until we get to heaven. And they're like, what are you even talking? Stop it. Don't say that type of thing. And he's like, guys, listen. So Matthew 26, verse 26 through 29, says, As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take this and eat it, for this is my body. This is my body. And he, he, he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and said, each of you drink from it, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. And they're like, wait, your your blood confirms the covenant? No, the, the, the sheep outside. This was Passover time. This was literally during Passover. They're like, your blood doesn't confirm the covenant. That sheep out there does. The, the high priest, Caiaphas, he's going to kill it tomorrow, don't you know? Or, or a couple days from now. And, and, and he's like, no. This represents the new covenant that's going to actually be marked with my blood, not the blood of a sheep anymore. My blood's going to pay the price for this new covenant. Uh, between God and his people, it is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins 
of many. Not just the sins of Israel, not just the sins of the people right there, but the sins of many. And guess what? I am in that group. I am part of the many crowd. And so are you. And Jesus, they're like, what's even, I mean, we read this and like, yeah, I've heard that since I was a little kid. But these guys, their heads are like, what are you talking about right now? The sins of Jesus, what's going on here? And Jesus said, no, mark my words. I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. And so they're like, what is, okay. And so from there. Judas had already split to go be the backstabber traitor that he was. And so Jesus is like, guys, let's go pray. So they go out to the Mount of Olives and they go to this garden called Gethsemane. And he's like, I just need to pray. And so Jesus is praying. And of course, his disciples, they're, you know, they, they keep falling asleep. He's like, guys, wake up. Wake up. I need you guys right now. They fall asleep again. It happened three times. Guys, wake up. And on one hand, I get a little judgmental that I'm like, how Jesus has been there for you for everything and you can't even stay up and pray. But then there is also the aspect that we have no idea the weight of that moment when the son of God, the savior of the world, the most important person in history, all the powers of darkness were swirling around Jerusalem. There was, I mean, the devil was like, oh man, here's our moment. We are going to take him out. There was a heaviness that I'll bet was just in the, have you ever been in an atmosphere where it's like, oh my gosh, there's just, it's, there's something going on in here. There was probably such a thickness of anxiety and stress. In fact, Luke who was a medical doctor, records in his gospel that Jesus was kneeling down and praying. And as he prayed, blood began to just sweat out of his body. And it says he his sweat fell to the ground as great drops of blood. Jesus' body was probably just like, oh gosh, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. And people are like, no, Jesus. Peter says, no, I'll never let you die. And Jesus says, Peter, get behind me, Satan. Don't try to stop. This has to happen. It was... I can't even imagine the weight of this moment. People are saying, Jesus, don't do it. And Jesus says, no, guys, I, I gotta do this. Don't try to talk me out of it. Then he calls one of his best friends, like, get behind me, Satan. Do you realize that sometimes even well-meaning people could be speaking the wrong message to you? No, you need to quit. No, you need to not go there. No, it's not gonna happen. And they may mean well, but And Peter meant well, but Jesus said, that's a lie from the devil. I will not. What if Jesus listened to Peter? Dude, I would be in a bad spot right now. I'm going to tell you that. <laughs> in fact, I'd be dead. I would have died of cancer when I was three, when I had it. I would have died at three. I know that much. But Jesus healed me. I am so glad that Peter did not talk Jesus out of going to the cross. And so Jesus is there. He's already got that precious, powerful blood pouring down, raining down from his face. His whole body is probably just maxed out to the point that a human body can be. And then, of course, here comes the mob. Judas torches a whole mob of guys. Oh, there he is. Judas shows up and gives Jesus a kiss on the cheek. Rabbi! Oh my gosh. He betrayed Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to these people. And it had to happen. It had to happen. But they arrest Jesus. They, you know, it gets, it gets nasty from there. 
But as we read it out, you know, before Jesus is put on that cross, Pilate, the guy in charge, is like, I don't want to kill this guy. I don't want this on my hands. In fact, Pilate's wife says, honey, don't let them kill that guy. I had a dream last night that he's a very powerful person. Don't, whatever they do, don't, don't let the, don't let the Jewish people kill this guy. Tell your men to stop. And Pilate comes out to the whole crowd and says, guys, I don't find anything wrong with him. In fact, I'm going to wash my hands. It's on you. You want to kill him? Fine. But I, hey, I got nothing to do with this. And so they take Jesus. He's like, here, you know, go flog him. And so they take Jesus. They tie him up to a post and they beat him with 39 stripes. And there's where we see the back and the body of Jesus ripped and shredded from limb to limb. And his blood begins to pour out. Isaiah put it this way in Isaiah 52. He said, one could scarcely recognize that he was a human being. This man was beaten to such a pulp. You would have looked at him and said, oh, what is that? That's how bad. Jesus didn't just get cut. and Jesus was beaten and shredded. And it was my fault. Because I'm a sinner. I was a sinner. And Jesus had to do it. Or David Samples had not a chance in the world of going to heaven. My stupid actions and sins made it to where somebody had to pay the price. And, and Jesus said, it's okay, don't make David pay the price. I'll, I'll, I'll cover his tab. I'll pay the price for him instead. And so, 1 Peter 2, verse 24, it says, He bared our sins in his body while he was on the tree, on the cross. And by his stripes, by Jesus' wounds, we have been healed. And so, if you don't understand a covenant, this doesn't mean much to you. But when I see Jesus' blood, he's beaten, he's shredded, he's all, I mean, just the worst beating ever. And he's doing it all voluntarily. He could have got out of it, but he did it anyway. He's being beaten. And as I'm seeing that blood, I'm seeing there's more power in that blood than all the atomic nuclear warfare in the world than anything you can imagine one drop of jesus blood contains more power more promise more anything than you can ever even imagine and here he is just getting beaten and shredded and what what do i see there i see jesus said a new covenant marked with my blood you're never going to need a lamb again the lamb of god has been tore open for your sins. I don't have to shed blood no more. His blood is so powerful, the Lamb of God, that when he cleansed my sins, it was once and for all time. I am clean. Now if I do sin, I have to confess my sins, according to 1 John 1, 9, and he is faithful and just to forgiving my sins, but he doesn't kick me out of the family because of it. Under the law of Moses, James said, hey, you break one law, you've broken all 612 of the other ones because there were 613 commands and laws. You break one, you might as well have broke them all. You steal from someone, you might as well have just been a murderer anyway. I mean, what a, what a thing. But Jesus, he doesn't kick me out of the family. He's like, hey, that's my son. Hey, that, we're going to take care of this. My blood 
cleansed him and paid the price for. But here's the main point. Matthew chapter 27. Matthew 27. Look at verse 45. We're talking about a new covenant. Who is thankful for a new covenant today? Who's thankful that you didn't have to pay the price for your own sins? I'm thankful. Because I couldn't have done it. I owed a debt. I couldn't pay. And he paid a debt that he did not owe. Matthew chapter 27 and verse 45. Here we have the final moments right here. Right before Jesus dies. And it's crazy. Look at this. Matthew 27 and verse 45. It says, at noon... Darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. Can you imagine right there at Passover, uh, right there in the middle of the day, the whole sky turns midnight dark from for three hours, noon to three. The whole darkness covers the whole skies. About three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemme sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And out of everything Jesus went through, this was the worst moment. In his entire existence, Jesus had never been separated from the Father. But for Jesus to go to hell and do war with the devil, he had to separate for the first time in his life. From his father. And here we see this moment. And he and God. The scripture says that God turned his head the other way. Turned his head from his son. And Jesus is like. Dad. Where are you? My God. You've forsaken me. Where, where are you? And he's in this awful moment. And all of hell is rejoicing. Here's our chance. We're going to get him now. And so, and so Jesus is crying out, why have you abandoned me? Why have you forsaken me? Some of the bystanders misunderstood and they thought he was calling for the prophet Elijah. One of them ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, holding it up to him on a reed stick so we could drink it. But the rest said, wait, no, let's see whether Elijah does come to save him. Then Jesus shouted out again and he released his spirit. At that moment, here we go. The curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn from top to bottom. Giant rip. The earth shook. There was an earthquake. Rocks split apart. I mean, it's dark. The whole earth shakes. And you begin to wonder if people are like, maybe this was an important guy. There's a lot. And so the curtain in the temple was 60 feet tall, four inches thick, And it was such an important place because behind that curtain, only one person was allowed to go. And he was only allowed to go there once a year. The high priest was allowed to go one time a year at Passover and sacrifice a lamb to atone for the sins of Israel. And that is the place up until this moment here where the presence of God on earth was held and where God, his presence on earth lived up until this moment. Jesus dies, and at the exact moment Jesus dies, the earth shakes, rocks are splitting apart, and the curtain that held you out of God's presence was ripped in half. And now everybody who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, and at this moment you can go yourself into the presence of God. There's no barrier. 
It's, um, and, and, and up until, think about that. Think about, there, there's this one room in the United States, this one, and only the president, the only the president is the only one that's allowed to go in there, and even he can only go once a year, and then, as of this moment, you know what, everyone can go in there now. You're allowed to go, and guess what, you can go any time you want. You now, because of Jesus, have a direct connection to God the Father, and it's not based on you, it's based on Jesus. I mean, I don't use the word mind-blowing, but that's nearly mind-blowing, that I, that I, me, I can go, and even back then, only the most important person could go once a year. This is a big deal. There is, at this point, when that curtain ripped, the old covenant was gone, and then Jesus died. He rose from the dead. We've got a new covenant with God based on better promises. You have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you, and you're allowed to go into God's presence whenever you want to. I like doing it at home, and I like coming to church where I get into God's presence with a whole bunch of my family. It's a beautiful thing. You've got a better covenant with better promises. You've got a brand new covenant. And next week I'm going to explain some of the benefits that belong to your covenant because most of you have no idea what belongs to you. If you're a union guy, you know what the Teamsters have promised you. You know that you only have to work, you know, if you're, yeah, that's fine. That's good. You should know that. But what if you knew your covenant with God the Father better than you knew your Teamsters covenant or better than you knew your American rights and privileges? You better know what belongs to you. Can we stand up together today, please? I hope you learned something today. I hope you learned something. Hallelujah. I'm going to ask uh, Katie Brady and Anthony to please. We're going to uh, do some worship here. Amen. Well, the first Sunday of every month is, uh, it's our traditional communion Sunday. And I thought, man, what? how did this work out so good that we just talked about Jesus cutting the new covenant with God based on better promises. We're going to take communion today, and I hope that as we take it today, you have a little bit better of an understanding and an appreciation. No, this is not the literal blood of Jesus. There are some churches that teach that. That's not the right doctrine. But at the same time, this represents the blood of your new covenant that Jesus Christ paid. And so, you don't have to be a member of High Desert Word Center to take communion here. I don't... Hey. Please, everybody take it. You just have to be a member of the family of God. You just got to be a Christian. That's all there is to it. And so, first of all, I want to pray with you. And then I want us to take communion. And I'm going to make this available. This whole altar is open to you. I encourage, you don't have to, but I encourage you, take your communion. Come up to the holy altar of God, which we haven't opened up much, you know, since March of last year. But it's opening back up now. You're officially allowed to come back to the altar. Amen. And so, take your communion. I don't care if you want to kneel. I don't care if you want to raise your hands. Whatever you want to do. But you need a moment with Jesus today. Because you know a little bit more about him now. And so, let's all pray this together. And maybe you are a Christian. Maybe you used to be. Maybe you've never been one. I just want you to be a part of the family. So you can belong <laughs> with the rest of us. Amen. So let's pray this together. Can we, can we do this? Repeat this after me. Father, in Jesus' name, I believe in your son, Jesus. I believe he died, that he rose again. Thank you, Jesus, 
for paying the price for my sin. Thank you, Jesus, for spilling your blood for my sins. Forgive me, Lord, for any wrong I've done. I promise to live for you. Give me the strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, if you're here and you've never been a Christian before, then, and you meant that, okay? I'm not saying you prayed that just because, and I'm saying you actually meant it, okay? Then you're part of the family. We love you. You belong. I need you. Please let me know afterwards. I want to give you a Bible, some books, and hook you up and take care of you. But you got to let somebody know because Jesus said you got to confess me before men if I'm going to confess you before my Father in heaven. You have to let me or somebody else know, okay? I really believe in that. Uh, I don't believe that, well, faith is a private matter. That's a lie from hell. It's not private. And you keeping your beliefs private has done a lot of damage to this country and this world. You need to be proud of being a Christian and a child of God. Don't be ashamed of what Jesus did for you. Never be ashamed of what Jesus did for you. Be proud of it and be happy about it. All right? I'm going to ask these guys to lead us in the song, Nothing But the Blood of Jesus. You are allowed and available to come up, get the communion elements. When everybody gets them, Yeah, you can find a place up here. If you want to go back to your spot, that's fine. I think it's a special day to be at the altar, but that's your choice. And then we're going to take the elements here in a few minutes. Amen? Let's go ahead and worship God. the blood of Jesus what can make me whole again nothing but the blood of Jesus oh precious is the flow that makes me white as snow no other fount I know nothing but the blood of Jesus for my pardon I see nothing but the blood of Jesus for my cleansing this my plea nothing but the blood of Jesus oh precious is the that makes me white as snow no other found I know nothing but the blood of Jesus oh precious is the Oh, no other found.
Hallelujah, hallelujah. Let's take a minute here. 1 Corinthians 11, the Apostle Paul gave uh, communion instructions for the New Testament church. And he said that each person, when they take communion, they need to... They need to examine themselves. Uh, they need to judge themselves. And, and so don't say something stupid like only God can judge me. You're told to judge yourself. <laughs> and so listen to me. This is a moment where we say, God, what do I need to do? You know what's going on. And I believe God's speaking to your heart today. But let's take a minute at this holy altar with the holy blood of Jesus and examine ourselves. I'm going to ask these guys to play and sing a little bit more. If you want to sing to God, if you want to talk to God, but let's take a, a, a moment here today uh, and, and celebrate this and do this the right way. If you need to repent of something, if you need to tell God something, tell him right now, this is the time to do it. Amen. Go ahead and let's uh, let's take a minute here. Nothing can force sin alone Oh, nothing but the blood of Jesus Not of good that I have done Oh, nothing but the blood of Jesus Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my hope and peace Oh, nothing but the blood of Jesus This is all my righteousness Nothing but the blood of Jesus Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Oh, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Amen. I'm going to read to us out of 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23. And uh, you can go ahead and, you know, if you need to open up your stuff, do that. Uh, But here we have the Apostle Paul giving our communion instructions as the New Testament church. He says, For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself, On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this to remember me. And so we take this bread today as it represents the body of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we do this to remember him. Thank you, Jesus. We remember what you did.
Amen. And in the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. And so, Lord, we do this as a sign of the new covenant, and it's a covenant marked with your blood. We do this to remember you. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Can we raise our hands this morning for just a minute? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, may we never, ever, 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 ever take for granted what you did on that cross. May we never, ever, ever disrespect the blood of Jesus. May we never bring shame to your name and to your blood. And we thank you, Jesus, that we are forgiven of our sins, that your body was beaten and broken so we could be healed. We thank you, Jesus, that we've got a new covenant with you. We worship you and we praise you today. Hallelujah. Can we give God a little bit of thanks today? Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Well, praise the Lord. God is really, really, really good to us. Better than we ever know or understand. Uh, the ushers are coming with a, something to throw your cups in if you need that. Um, I'm going to go ahead and uh, I'm going to pray over everybody. Uh, you know, it's been a great service. Sometimes you're like, hey, we're coming in for a landing. How do we land this thing? But uh, <laughs> it's been a great time, and uh, God's been really good to us today. Amen. Can we give the Lord a little bit more praise as we're making our way back? Amen. Amen. Okay. okay. All right. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Well, I'm going to pray over everybody. And, you know, especially if you, if you need prayer right now, just raise your hands. We're going to pray over you. And here in the next week or so, listen to me, uh, we're going to get to where we're inviting you back up for prayer at the end. I just didn't quite prep for that today, but, uh, and you can come up and get hands laid on you, but, uh, we're going to pray over you before we dismiss. We're going to speak some, uh, words of faith over Barstow because I don't care what anybody says. Listen. That place is covered by the blood of Jesus because I live there and you live there. Amen. And so I don't care what people say. I care what Jesus says and it's coming to Jesus. Amen. So raise your hands today and I want to pray over you. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I thank you for what we've seen in your word today. We thank you for a new covenant based upon your blood. And Lord, your blood is powerful enough to cleanse the sins of the entire world. And so anybody in here right now that has a need, God, if they're facing a, a depression, if they're facing a sickness, a financial need, a family situation, a job situation, whatever they're facing, God, we know that your blood is by far more than enough powerful to take care of it. And so I speak healing right now. I speak peace right now. I speak the joy of the Lord over us in this family right now in Jesus name. And I thank you that you are working. Even if we don't see it, you're working God and things are turning around and we claim victory, not because of us, but because of Jesus. We thank you for it, Lord victory right now in Jesus mighty name. Can somebody say amen? Amen. Amen. All right. Praise the Lord. Well, we're going to do the 
the Barstow Faith Confession and uh, speak some words of faith over Barstow. Parents, remember your kids are getting picked up upstairs because uh, they're getting their prizes from the general store. And uh, sign up for the cake auction back there. That's next Sunday. We're going to do the Barstow Faith Confession. Then my mom has some she wants to uh, share with you. And then we're going to let everybody get out of here. But let's say this together. We declare that Barstow is a blessed city. Our families are blessed. Our schools are blessed. Our churches are blessed. Barstow is healed. Barstow is prospering. Barstow is safe. Barstow is strong. Barstow is surrounded by the walls of God's salvation. Barstow is full of love, joy, and peace. Barstow is full of the glory of God. Barstow is coming to Jesus. Barstow is saved. In Jesus' name, amen. Give the Lord some praise today.